1: Hello, welcome to the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. I am your host, Ari Barblat. Today, it is my honor to be in dialogue with Peter Applebaum and Dan Hecht. Peter Applebaum is a retired microbiologist who is spending his retirement years writing and translating books about Jewish history during World War I and the immediate post war period. He is the recipient of the 2019 Rise Dom. Orchis Prize for his translation of Avigdor HaMeiri's work, Hell on Earth. Dan Hecht is a doctoral student at the School of Cultural Studies at Tel Aviv University who wrote an extensive master's thesis on the writings of Avigdor HaMeiri, focusing on his dual national loyalty to his Hungarian heritage and his Hebrew homeland. He is currently writing his PhD on the essay at Eistic prose of Eliezer Steinmann. Today, we will be in dialogue regarding their newly published book, Under a Blood Red Sky, Avigdor HaMe'iri's War Stories and Poetry, published in Boston by Academic Studies Press, 2023. Peter and Dan, it's an honour to be in dialogue with you today. Thank you. Thank our you. Our honour. To begin, uh, can you kindly tell us about yourselves, each of you? What formative events in your lives inspired your scholarly curiosities and academic
0: journeys? Could I start? Please. Please. Okay. Um, mine is a, a very convoluted story. I'm a, originally, I was born in South Africa, uh, and um, I'm a physician. Uh, I've spent 40 years doing clinical microbiology and research on antibiotics, emigrated to the United States in 1978, spent 40 years here, and at the end had to retire because there was no future in antibiotics and funding dried up. Now, I'm quite good at languages, and I'm interested, very much interested in my Hebrew heritage. So I started, as fate had it, I started with Jewish uh, uh, soldiers in the German army during the First World War, and then carried on to Jewish soldiers in the Austrian army. And from that, I was introduced to Avigdor Hamairi, who was wrote the only two Hebrew novels on the First World, First World War and his experiences in the First World War. And I've basically carried on translating. I do it in Hebrew and German and writing books ever since. Thank you. My well, um,
2: my story is... Um, I am... I'm a, i am graduated from Tel Aviv University in filmmaking, and I was. Uh, I thought I was on my way to become a filmmaker, and uh, on the way, I decided to, go back to basics and and study Hebrew literature, and I did not know where this journey would take me, and I went to a course, um, Avner Holtzman. He was, um, who later on, um, supervised my thesis. Um this course um, was held by him. He uh, th- The title of the course was Hebrew Literature Between the Two World Wars. And the Ve'igdor HaMe'iri was one of the uh, authors or poets uh, in that course. And he really caught my eye for a few reasons. First of all, it was very interesting and unusual to see a Hebrew uh, writer writing about war. It was something that usually... Hebrew um, writers would would try and dodge uh, military service. and here is a Hebrew writer who was who volunteered for for the for the in the First World War and it was very something that stood out and it was very, very interesting to me. And the second and maybe even more um, more important to me was the fact that he was from Hungarian background like me. He was actually from the same county like my grandfather, and that was very, very interesting to me. Uh, made me feel some sort of a affinity to him. So I wrote my thesis about him, and it was and my thesis was exactly about that about his dual um, national identity, Hebrew and Hungarian. This is something also very, very unusual because usually the Hebrew writers, poets were mostly identified with their Hebrew Jewish. Um, identity and were very, very estranged from their uh, neighbors, but not in, this, not in this instance. So this was something that very interested me and I wanted to learn more about.
1: What are the primary themes in this book? And what are the primary themes in Avitor
0: Hameiri's work? Okay, uh, let, let me start. He wrote in Almost every conceivable style, he wrote novels, he wrote poems, he wrote, he uh, founded the first satirical magazine, Hakumkum, in Israel, and his styles are, are, are varied. He writes about war with, a, he's got a, a great sense of humor, he's also got a great sense of compassion, and his sense of humor is also very acerbic. He started off life as a Bohemian in Budapest, volunteered for the war, and spent two years fighting on the Eastern Front. And was then captured by the Russians, spent a year in POW, and then arrived in Kiev and uh, lived through the pogroms and uh, of 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 Ukraine between 1917 and 1919. He emigrated to Palestine in 1921. So his Canvas. The way he writes is vast. The thing that uh, that that grasped me about these books is that his his sense of the Gothic, the Gothic horror novels, which I don't think, as far as I know, any other Hebrew writer uh, grasped onto. He was uh, read a lot of the Gothic writer, the German writer Hans Heinz Evers, and it's it's reflected in his books. He's 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 very well read he quotes every russian uh, uh jewish author other jewish authors and also a whole panoply of non-jewish authors and of course hungarian authors which gives his his work uh 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 enlightened not only enlightened but it, it's a sort of a universal character and it's um it's, it's 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 each one is different some of them are really uh full of horror and, and it's not always true it might just be flights of fancy but it gives it a completely unique trait that's as far as the as 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 the essays are concerned um i'll, I'll defer to danny for, for for the poetry
2: right so i think uh, peter really hit, hit, the, hit the spot with this one it's, it's, um, as peter said peter translated the stories and i translated the poetry peter is uh, this is my first uh translate translating effort and um this is how we handled things he translated the stories i translated the poetry and he's absolutely right i think our book is a, is a is a very is an interesting example of um early hebrew writing and fantasy maybe the earliest ever there's um Hameiri was very unusual in writing um stories that are unrealistic imagine that um, Hebrew literature was actually born out of um, some sort of an ideological um, instrument. And it was always inter- intertwined with Zionism or some sort of movement and very, very realistic. And when Hamidiri came with these uh, war stories, um, again, I need to stress out, that not a lot of um, Hebrew authors were in a part of the war. Uh, in the trenches and didn't experience what Hamerri went through so he uh, he also had this sense of of uh, the the real experience of war but he also gave it um uh, expressed it in a lot of fantasy uh, he was influenced like peter said by um a german uh, author and actor named Hans Heinz Evers, who was uh, and and Hamiri was chastised for that this, these stories really puzzled a lot of uh, a lot of uh, Hebrew readers and critics, who were really taken aback from these and um, admonished uh, Hameiri for them. And um, I think that I'm not. Uh, it needs to be said that Hameiri's war uh, literature in general, and I'm talking about also the novel, The Great Madness. This is uh, probably his most important. Um, works ever what he produced um, so these are his themes that are um, uh, war stories with a lot of uh, fantasy in them with uh, um, a lot of uh, sense of the macabre also a, a great sense of humor that he had um, with with these horror stories um, but he also had uh, poetry that were um more intimate when we're talking about his uh, poetry about his uh, autobiography about his where he um, where and how he grew up these are more subtle poems not ve- not so colorful and garish like the war poetry but these are the most important ones this is what made him really stand out and this is how he was ad- identified
0: as an expressionist uh, poet what? I, th- I think i'd also oh, like to- i think i'd also like to to mention this one poem here which i translated in a book voyage into savage europe which was his one journey in 1930 into a europe basically on uh, on the brink of an unknown catastrophe and he beautifully puts in in writing there his dual soul he never lost his love of hungary he never lost the love of the country in which he was born and it put him in in two places. And if if, if I may read my translation, one sits on the hills of the east, radiant peace reflected in her godly eyes. The second sits in the rivers of the west and dreams her dream. When heaven wishes, if you lift up your eyes, you will see two shadows embracing on high and know that the two souls above belong to me. I think that, that describes a very unique aspect of 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 his life, in that he, he 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 sort of belonged in two places.
1: How do Hameiri's poems and
0: stories depict pogroms? Um, if, if 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 I may, um, he was in Ukraine during the time of nineteen uh, seventeen to nineteen nineteen. He immigrated to Israel with, with Bialik and Moshe Kleinman in nineteen twenty one so he was there right through the pogroms and because he was hungarian and because he wasn't russian nobody did anything to him now in the last part of um hell on earth the second book of his of the, of, of his uh the war novels he describes uh partially the pogroms he also met with simon petlura a very difficult man to understand he played a, a very important role in these pogroms. whether he was responsible i don't know and then he, in another short little book which donnie and i did and he wrote a, a an introduction for it um he, there, there is a, a whole section that's there like film clips of and also with the with the with the with the, with the um use of the fantastical and the horror of the pogroms. Some of it's true, some of it is exaggerated, but he was there. He lived right through those, and he saw them, and he saw the Reds' depred, uh, depredation. When the Reds left, the whites came, and they did the same thing, and the people got murdered, and the Jews uh, suffered terribly from it. So he was there, he experienced those firsthand.
1: What are the difficulties and challenges involved in translating Kame'eri's literature
0: how did you work around these problems That's a very good question if if I may again um hebrew in the 1920s when he wrote it even before was a nascent language it was basically invented by Eliezer ben Yehuda in the late 19 in the late 18 uh, 1800s before that it was read it was prayed it was sung but it wasn't spoken and because he was a graduate of, of a yeshiva, and he knew uh, Torah and Talmud. His style is, it looks today, um, antique, but it isn't. It's got a lot of Aramaic in it, and it's got an awful lot of uh, referrals to Torah and Talmud, and those require explanatory notes. So it's it might seem still to, today, but uh, as, as, as of the time, it, uh, uh, it, it it was the way people wrote. All the all the authors were soaked, Bialik and uh, others were soaked in, in, in Talmud. They were uh, graduates of yeshivas. So that colored their writings. And that makes it difficult because it's not a modern Hebrew style. Hebrews had to make a quantum leap uh, in the last less than 100 years. Remember English, French, They've been around for 2,000 years to develop as spoken languages. Hebrews had to do it all in about 100 years. So it, it, it seems stilted, but it's terribly interesting because it's got references for everything. And the Torah and the Talmud uh, uh, quotes make it extremely interesting.
1: Can you say more about the impact of World War I on Hameiri's life? How is this reflected in his work?
0: Oh, it's, 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 it's basic because he was a young man from the um, cafe houses in Budapest. He was a journalist, a bohemian. And he was already a published author in Hebrew. He attended the Zionist Congress just before the First World War. And he volunteered. And he was subject to all the horrors of the Eastern Front. He got wounded twice, once very badly. He... Uh, He was exposed to the whole panoply of nationalities on the Eastern Front in the Austro-Hungarian army. And then during the Brusilov offensive in 1916, he was taken prisoner together with his whole unit and spent a year in various Russian POW camps. And if you read Hell on Earth, he was transferred anywhere from Moscow right to Yakutsk and Central Asia and then he landed up in Kiev and was, came into contact with Zionists and then was basically freed. So it had an absolutely immense effect on his life. And he came out of the war pacifist.
1: What is your book's contribution to Israeli intellectual history and Israeli literature?
0: Daniel, would you answer that, please? You're the Israeli.
2: Well, um, Peter translated pretty much everything that uh, every uh, worth uh, work on um, areas produced, uh, basically. But this is, um, there's a few technical contributions. Um, we have salvaged a few stories that were never, uh, that we thought were worth to bring back that were published in journals that were long forgotten, like uh, the story "Gift" that I know Peter is very fond of and the story Sarah Banger, also um, very uh, worth uh, pieces of literature that the reader has would probably, they would have gone forgotten forever, if not for this anthology. Um, Hamiri, aside from the war novels, had three anthologies of uh, short stories. And um, I think that what we have uh, um, done is uh, assembled the very best and a few uh, forgotten gems that have uh, would have been um, lost in oblivion forever. So that's uh, first a technical contribution. And the second one is I think that um, everything, every work of Hama'iri that is basically an unknown author in Israel, I mean, there is a few streets with his name, but I don't think even the people who live there know who he is. I, I actually know that for a fact that once went to someone's house and, I, and he lived on a big street and they had no idea who he is so i think that they've even even this podcast is is uh, something that is um it's because of this book and is doing something for Hameiri's heritage and and uh, memory so every everything every every effort like this um is is uh, something positive and contributes
1: what kinds of intertextual references and allusions pervade Hameiri's work? Um,
0: you.
2: Like, like Peter said, um, there's also there's this uh, German author Hans Heinz Evers, who was uh, a controversial figure. Uh, who Meiri, um also translated, by the way, from German, and uh, he got a lot of uh, criticism for that. Um, Hameiri was uh, influenced by um Hungarian poet and revolutionist, uh, Odi Andre. And you can see that the themes, like Peter sa- like Peter uh, mentioned earlier, Hameiri came out of this war pacifist. all of all of uh, uh, the first world War literature is basically pacifist because this was a war. And you can see this also in our book and in, in, in his novel that was had, had, had certain classes to it. What I mean is that um, the people were basically the same people fighting each other. This was not a fight over religion or over land, but a war of alliances. And um, people always mentioned the famous soccer game between the Germans and the French or the English uh, during Christmas. Um, there was a lot of uh, um, the, the the simple troops didn't didn't really have anything against each other. You can see this in the first uh, in in our story that is called Christians as well. When they when when they meet the Russian soldiers, they do not hate them. What who they do ha- hate, they share hate for their officers, and this is a certain war of classes that the the, the, the simple troops um, have this uh, disdain for authority. And um, this is uh, some sort of a, a socialist uh, thought that you can see pervades his uh, stories and also his, poet- also his poems. There's one poem in, in um, specific called Question and Answer. There's not um, not really a, a war poem, but more of a poem. And, and, and also the influence of Odie Andre, who was a socialist as well, is very, very prevalent. You can really, you, this is really something you can really see. The, the imprint of of, of adi Andrei in this poem.
1: Why is Dor hameiri's work relevant and resonant in the year 2023?
0: Because in the First World War was the original sin of the 20th century. You can really regard, as Churchill and others said, the First and Second World Wars as the the second you um uh european uh, war uh, and uh, the second european war uh, after this the 30 years war after this after the 30 years war which lasted for, th- uh, for for 30 years of course and it's the second european war one war divided by a 20-year armistice in fact after versailles marshal foch of france said this is not a peace this is an armistice for 20 years, and the, the, the transformative effects of the First World War cannot be overstated. It collapsed the Hohenzollern Empire, it collapsed the Habsburg Empire, it collapsed the Ottoman Empire, it collapsed the Romanov dynasty with the Russian Revolution and Lenin. Those effects are being felt uh, uh, to this day. So... That from that point of view, uh, one cannot study that too carefully. And in my mind, and I'm too sure that uh, the Danny agrees, the canonical book on the First World War, "All Quiet on the Western Front," Western Besten is a great book. But "Hell on," uh, but the original, uh, "The Great Madness," is to me a greater book. It lasts for a longer time. It uh, "All Quiet" only was for. Uh, of over a six-month period this is two years it's got the whole panoply of the austro-hungarian uh, soldiers from every kind of country that you can think of and it it goes deeper into many characters so that 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 is um an influence that is still felt and uh all this what's happening in ukraine today with russia and the interplay after the revolution and the different countries that were formed, everything is a result of the First World War. So from that point of view, his work is very, very relevant. I'd just like to say that since since
2: Peter mentioned all this quite on the Western Front, the interesting thing is that um, Hama'iri started publishing um, excerpts from the uh, from his novel, The Great Madness, in in the newspapers in 1926 a little bit before um, all quiet on, on the western front has been uh, published and it, it was a major success a huge bestseller and also adapted to the screen really really quick after it was released and and in in in, in it was translated to hebrew uh, with the publishing house called Stiebel, and when and Hamiri, he published his excerpts. They stopped it because they said it's not interesting. Nobody wants to read about the war. And after All Quiet on the Western Front has been such a success, um, um, another publishing house, Mitzpeh, they said, okay, we have this. Let's let's publish it really, really quick. And it did become, in fact, the first Hebrew bestseller. So and it's it's interesting talking about relevance that you know really back in the day people didn't didn't want to read about the war. In, in Israel, they said it's not interesting. They don't want to read about these horrors. Um, and in general, I think, uh, all literature, there's the the all-time classics. I can say that when I read the The Great Madness, it, it felt relevant to me. I can't say exactly why, but I gave the book to my brother who is not uh, not in the academy and doesn't read Hebrew literature and all, And he read the book and it was very, very interesting to him. So um, I think it, it it stands the test of time. Just just if if my brother read it, then it's
0: relevant. Can I you- think the same the same applies to hell on earth to hell on earth because it's the POW experience. It's the POW experience, and as you say, that book was published. Uh, people didn't want to know about that about the horrors of the POW experience. And <clears throat> in 1933, Adolf Hitler got in, and when the Holocaust started. Nobody wanted to hear about the Jewish experience in the First World War, and yet it is very relevant.
1: Can you describe the circumstances surrounding Hameiri's death? How did he die? How was he memorialized? What was written about him? Danny, please. Well, um, you know, Hameiri, it's uh, not really certain when he
2: was born. Um, Most anthologies say he was born in uh, 1890, uh, some say a little bit earlier. There's a not not. He said some one time. He said this. The other time he said another thing. Um, and he died in 1970. So he was in a, in in what you called uh, an old folks home. Is there a different way to say it? Yeah, older, passed away. Older. Yeah, so. he, he passed away um, uh, when he was about. Eighty years old. Um, nothing, nothing uh, too uh, special about it. Just passed away. Uh, and except, um,
0: that he, except that he didn't he get did, the Israel Prize in 1968.
2: Right, right. They they did acknowledge him um, right before he died. He was uh, again. He was a. Uh, he was old and a little bit confused. And by that time, and pretty, just pretty old.
1: How is he memorialized to the extent of your knowledge?
2: Well, you know, he's uh, um, buried not too far from where I live, Kiryat Shaul. That is uh, where most of his generation, also Eliezer Steinman, who I'm writing my doctoral PhD on right now is buried. Um, Again, I don't think, I think, uh, I think he'd like to be uh, remembered like the truth is that he, his major works were between the uh, two uh, world wars. I think uh, Peter only translated um his works between the wars, and uh, after that, he pretty much faded away. He worked uh, with the uh, protocols of the Knesset, that's the Israeli Parliament. They gave him a job. Um, but basically nothing nothing <clears throat> nothing really worthwhile he didn't write. After that, so I think he was uh, forgotten already when he was alive, and after his death, they probably written some something some about him, but not not nothing really. I can say that the who, who Avner Hoshman, who supervises me in my PhD, he wrote his thesis about him and published a book about his uh, war stories, and that was the first. That was in 1984, I think. That was the first uh, major work on Hameiri. Uh, but aside from that, not much was written, um, not like an agnon or something like that.
1: What does the title of your book mean? Can you interpret the poem it is named after? Why did you select this poem for the book's title?
2: Um, well, the, the title of our book, Under a Blood Red Sky, is after the poem Under a Blood Red Sky. Yes. First of all, it's it's, it's I think it's a very powerful name and in general. I like it. Uh, very colorful and and it's the uh, with it's the theme also of 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 this uh, anthology it really gives you the sense of of the of the of the horror of the of the of the colorful and it also goes really well with the cover uh, of Peter's friend and um actually it's a uh, one of the names of the I think it's the name of the first anthology of war stories Hameiri has produced so Basically, I followed Ameiri's footsteps and named it after after that. Um, also when I translated, I tried to translate like Hameiri translated. Amiri wrote a few essays about translate translating, and I just followed what he said. I stick with what he did. Um, so that that's that's why I thought it's a, it's a suitable name for this anthology. I liked it and Amiri liked it too, so
0: I followed him. If what, I could just say please. two words about, about the, the painter who painted, because this is an original painting. He's my good friend, Jochanan Petrovsky-Shtern, Stern, is a professor of of Hebrew uh, literature. He's, he's of Ukrainian origin, and he's also, what I didn't realize when I started uh, working with him, he's also a painter. So I asked him if I could use one of these, and I looked at this one, and it looked like two birds of prey killing each other. And the blood red color really, to me, was a, a very compelling color uh, for uh, for the title of our book.
1: Thank you for sharing. What role did biblical literature and biblical allusion play in Hameiri's poetry and stories?
0: For the stories, it played a huge role. Uh, and that, for that reason, if you really want to understand them properly, they require explanatory notes. Because he uses he, his 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 knowledge is great. He uses the Artenach, the oh the Bible, Hebrew Old Testament. He uses the Mishnah. He uses a lot of Gomorrah. and it's written in the uh, it's written in Aramaic, and he it gives sometimes a sardonic and very humorous twist to to what he writes. There's in the in the uh, the great. In the Great Madness, and also in Hell on Earth, there's a yeshiva student called Jacob Margolis, and some of the things that he puts in his mouth are, in the context, translated and interpreted properly, absolutely hilarious. That's why uh, this, these books, unfortunately, and it makes them difficult because you need explanatory notes in them. But 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 certainly in the in his two main war books the the use of of the of 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 these of these allusions is basic. It's not so much there are some. It's not so much in in in, in the stories and poems that we're using now. There is one story though, which, uh, if with your permission, I'd like to say a few words about, and that's the storm. Because I'm a retired microbiologist, and the storm is the story of phagocytosis of the ingestion of bacteria by leukocytes, And he knew Eli Mechnikov, Eli who, together with Paul Ehrlich, discovered the science of immunology, because it's written that he read one of his books on, he wrote on other things, it's called an Optimistic Worldview, in the train, on the way to the front. So this, for me, was absolutely fascinating, because this is pure microbiology and how, phagocytes destroy bacteria and if how if bacteria are too many they overcome the body's defense mechanisms and the patient dies remember in the first world there was no such thing as antibiotics if you got an infection you basically died you died you could die from wound infection you could die from uh from any number from a from a pharyngitis for meningitis of course there was no treatment at all and that one really piqued my interest which called the storm
1: which jewish and non-jewish writers and poets had the greatest impact on Hameiri?
2: well um Hameiri, it's interesting he was not very much influenced by um jewish and hebrew authors more by the hungarian ones that is why his poetry was very something so special and so, he, well, bizarre to um, Hebrew critics who did not know where this is coming from. Um, his, Hame uh, was, um, he uh, lost his mother when he was an infant, and uh, he grew up with his maternal uh, grandfather. His grandfather was some sort of um, Hebrew intellectual. And he was—he got uh, he, uh, Hebrew newspapers. We're talking about the turn of the 20th century. So Hameiri knew uh, and was influenced by Yosef uh, Berdyczewski and uh, Yuda Leib Gordon. Um, these uh, the first really uh, great poet of the of the era of the Haskalah. But again, he was more influenced by by Hungarian uh, literature. He, he always said that um, he looked up to Bialik, but he didn't really read Bialik until he was an adolescent. So everyone everyone read Bialik, but Hameiri
0: was a little bit
2: something else. He didn't He didn't uh, read
0: that. I think uh, that, comes, that comes out also in this book I was mentioning, Voyager to Savage Europe, because he's got all sorts of, and I didn't know that they existed, all sorts of Hungarian poets and authors that, that not only he had read of, but he knew somebody like Frigyes Karinthy, who I didn't even, I didn't even know him at all. So he was soaked in Hungarian literature and poetry. And I'm sure Daniel who speaks Hungarian could uh, confirm that, that Hungarian poetry, I don't think it does well in translation into any language. It's such a unique language.
2: Well, you know, it's uh, it's interesting that Hungarians and Jews uh, share a lot of a lot in common in that sense because um, Hebrew literature and Hungarian literature basically were born at the same time. Um, Hungarian literature was uh, born with the revolutions of eighteen forty eight, and um, Hungarian is is a, is a, is a language that is. Um, secluded. It's surrounded by Slavic languages in the east and uh, um, Anglo-Germanic uh, languages on the west. Um, something very, very different. Uh, also the Hungarian people are uh, origin uh, originally from the east, like the Jewish people. So um, there is an affinity between the between the people um, conceptually, I mean. So um, there is, you can, you can see the similarities between them. And uh, yes, Hamerys was definitely um, frequented frequented cafes. He, he, he made a living as a journalist when he was uh, in, his, uh, in his younger age. So he knew them all, he met them all, he associated with them. Uh, um, and these are the the Hungarian intelligentsia. So he was definitely influenced by them, he knew them and they were his friends.
1: How can students of other national and cultural literary traditions unrelated to Jewish and Israeli literature grow from engagement with Hameiri's work?
2: Um, I think uh Hameiri's Jewish themes do not um, overcloud the general uh, especially in this anthology, which is if you if you're a fan of fantasy, if you like uh if you're interested in history, you don't have to be uh, to know Jewish. Uh, culture um, or religion very intimately to enjoy these uh, stories or poems because um, the war was a world war to touch all uh, everyone's lives and um, if of course you can benefit if you do have some sort of uh, knowledge of it but if you're if you're interested in in history if you're interested in war literature in general if you want to know more about the eastern front that is all, the most literature is known as from the western front then you can uh, benefit from it and you can enjoy it the, this is not this these stories are very uh, written in the popular fashion I mean did not write um very uh sophisticated stories um, he also he was a big fan of fabula, fabula meaning the plot he was um he thought that he, he was a very, he was very much against, and you can see that in the essay, in the not in the essay, in the um, the Antifa uh, speech that he gave. He was a he was a very uh, he hated the notion of lar pour lar, which means art for art's sake. He was very much against that and was a very a big fan of plot and of uh, story. So I think there's something that can relate to everyone.
0: Also, if I may, the First World War was absolutely unique in that there were almost a million Jews fighting on all fronts, every, all the fronts from, from, from the Western Europe to Russia, there were even Jews in the Turkish army. There were 350,000 Jews in the Austro-Hungarian, about 180 in, in the Russian army, 100 in the German army, and they were basically fighting and killing each other. And that makes the, this war absolutely unique. Also in that in the Austro-Hungarian army, there was a fairly large number of Paius and Kaftan Jews. The ones, the really religious ones, that literally went into battle with Talas and Phil and shouting Shema Israel and killing the enemy very fiercely. So this is something, it was the last war where Jews fought on all sides. And that also uh, ma- makes it even more interesting.
1: How did the themes and contents of Hameiri's works change and evolve over time? Tony? Well,
2: of course, when uh, Hameiri's first uh, uh, book of poetry was a book about uh, Zionism, um, the poem Peter mentioned earlier about his two souls, something very, very general, uh, the war changed that. The war uh, gave Hameiri, um a new world of content to deal with, and, and also I think it changed his outlook on life. Um, some people I read that uh, think maybe he was post-traumatic, but I I refuse to think that way. I think well, people think that because they read the stories and they say, how can he not have been have a, a PTSD? But you know. Um, I don't think that means that everyone needs to have that, but it definitely changed his outlook on life, and it changed his um, um, his subject matter. Um, but he was, like Peter said, he was very, very um, diverse. Okay, he established uh, the uh, satirical comedy club, the Kum Kum, the, uh, the melting pot—not um, the melting pot. How do you say the teapot? the teapot Kettle. kettle right um and he um he wrote a lot of sketches and uh these uh short uh poems uh catchy poems that you um chant and so he was had he also wrote for uh for the stage and uh and he also was the first. Well, he was, That's how they acknowledge him. It's not really exactly true, but he is uh, considered the first uh, Hebrew screenwriter. He wrote the screenplay for uh, for uh, the first talking uh, Hebrew Israeli uh, motion picture. So he he did a lot, and uh, he changed also with technology, with the uh, uh, with uh, uh, commercial cinema in Israel um so he he did he did change with the times the book that peter uh uh translated voyage into savage europe that is a collection of uh, of uh, reports he did from uh europe to uh, to the newspaper so he was very very uh multifaceted
0: and he he wrote in one chapter in, in in his own particular serbic style in in "Voyage to savage europe about about the the evils of movies which uh, I think he wrote tongue in cheek, and it was interesting to me. They, of course, there's no word for cinema in Hebrew, so the silent movie was called Rei Noah, the moving image, and then when there was sound, came it was Kol Noah, the moving sound. So, but he started off, of course, uh, with, uh, with with uh, with with uh, with silence, and quite a few. Donny made it made it clear to me. On the short stories on the pogroms, which I referred to, are like flashes. They're very short and they're like screen images that just come on and then go off again. So he was very, very cognizant of the of the of the style of making movies.
2: Well, actually that, that novel was first published as its its name was it was called entitled Odessa Cinema. So it was really, he tried it, he, he it was a conscious effort by him to try and imitate cinema. But even there, you can see the progress when you take all those shots, sequences that he wrote and put them in the book. And the, also another book Peter translated, um, you can see the progress within the book from the short um, little shots like cinema shots it turns into something that is more reminiscent of of our book in later stages you can see the progress within
1: the book what is your book's contribution to the history of mandatory palestine
2: well i i don't think much it's aside from the fact that it was these stories were published in uh, in the time of uh, of mandatory palestine between uh, 1918 and uh, 1945 and uh, 1947 um These books do not deal with uh, mandatory Palestine. They are all, all of them take place in Europe, Um, but they were published when Hamairi was in mandatory Palestine. But aside from that, not too much. If so, they did did the opposite perhaps because they did not deal with mandatory Palestine. What people always demanded stories from mandatory Palestine. They wanted realistic stories. And here Hamairi is talking about horrors. Uh, happening in Europe far away that did not help um, promote the idea of a Jewish state at all. The, the, uh, the demand for, for realistic uh, representation from uh, life in, in mandatory Palestine, life from the kibbutz, for instance, life from, uh, from Tel Aviv. You, you do not see it in this book.
0: Thank you. Except that there's one chapter in, uh, in, in, uh... Voyage into Savage Europe, where he describes Tel Aviv and all the problems with it and, and the people are nosy and everybody wants to know your business and the political system is a mess. But but it's a Jewish city and he describes very movingly uh, how Dizengov Square and the Clock Tower are unlike any other city in the world because Tel Aviv was the first really jewish city that that was that, that that was built from scratch so he did he 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 had uh this this conflict with uh, uh, uh with 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 his origin
2: yes they all did they all had this conflict and the, and the voyage did did exactly that he visited europe he visited his homeland and then he saw why he left it in the first place but it it must be said that hamari was very very disappointed when he came to israel to the Mandatory Palestine, because he he thought he'd um, be a very a prominent figure, and actually he was a little bit of an outcast from a few reasons. Perhaps his literature was a little too much for them. Perhaps his temper and his personality d- did not really fit in, and uh, he had a lot of resentment. and He wrote a lot of, of poetry that de- dealt exactly with that issue of being alone. And being disappointed, I wrote about it in my in my thesis extensively. And um, so the he left for that voyage to Europe for that expedition it was sent from by Kereneh uh, Sud uh, to Europe. He went there very bitter, but came back to his home.
0: <laughs> I think he realized that it was his home uh, more deeply after he had visited Europe, and he saw. Uh, that something is going to happen. He saw that Europe was balanced on a knife edge. He saw that a catastrophe was going to happen. He didn't know what, but he saw that there was a catastrophe going to happen in Europe. That's very clear in that book.
2: He saw what a, 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 a declining cel- civilization. He saw you always talked about about it being barbaric, being like uh, like the tribes. I forgot their name. Hottentots or something like that. The
0: Hottentots, He liked that word. He liked the Hottentots were basically, I'm from South Africa, they were the original tribes of the Cape. They, they, they were the, origi- the indigenous people of the Cape colony. And when the Dutch came in the mid-17th century, they swallowed them up and they could, they killed them all off. Uh, so I don't know why he, he liked that name. Maybe he felt sorry for them. Yeah. And the sound, maybe. He liked the sound. What role
1: does love play in Hameiri's writings? How do they depict and interpret love? How do his stories and poems depict interpersonal relationships? Don't he
2: love? That's an interesting question. Um, in his war stories, um, it's not. There's not a lot of love there. Not a lot of women, in general, in there. We have one uh, story. I mentioned it earlier. His name is Sarah Banger, um, but this, aside from that, and all, and also gift. Um, but if there's love, it's I think it's a little bit of a like like a horror kind of love. I wouldn't no. call it a really a real interrelationship. Uh, and also in in the Great Madness, the, the love he is talking about is mostly with prostitutes. Not really a not really a
0: relationship kind of author. He, it's interesting that that in, in the Great Madness he makes the point that when the war came, the cabaret artists and the and the prostitutes became the nurses. The high-class married women became the whores that slept around with the men that came back, uh, that came back uh, from duty. I don't think by any stretch of the imagination can the affair between the the, the 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 chemist and Sarah Banger, who who did postmortems all day with blood up to her elbows, be regarded as love. The one place though that he does mention it, and he doesn't mention it it's it's the the uh he almost as purposely uh de-emphasizes it as in hell on earth when in kiev he meets his respective uh, wife uh Ginda abramovna he mentions her he mentions that he went back with her but there's no description of her in his book whatsoever as far as i could see
2: there are there is expressions of love to, for his mother for his mother, which she basically did not know. He has a lot of conversations with her. He um miss, uh, misses her yeah, like an orphan. But I'm not sure if uh, we're talking from a relationship perspective. There's not a lot of love in those stories.
0: Which I'm sorry to
1: say. What does your interest in Avigdor HaMeiri say about you?
0: It's it says about me is that I've got a very acerbic twisted sense of humor some some of his some of his uh, jokes are really very acerbic uh but but basically what what i've tried to do after i've retired um is to give back in the only way which i know possible back to Am israel back to my people in giving back the literature which was unknown to them to start with giving back to them the stories of jewish soldiers in the German army, nobody would have thought of that. In the Russian army, in the Austro-Hungarian army, to, all Jews have in them the fact that we are, as Hamlet said, the chroniclers and uh, are the chroniclers of our times. As uh, and we we write, we describe, we relate, and we put down on paper. And that is what I'm trying to do in my retirement to give back to chronicle to give back some literature to, to, to the people of Israel, which they didn't know about before and is very worthwhile. And I'm continuing to do that.
2: Well, for me, um, it, as I've mentioned earlier, it uh, has something to do with my background. Um, my grandmother, my late grandmother, whom who I was very close to, was a ethnic Hungarian. Um, She was really from, she converted to Judaism, she was really something, um, something from the, uh, a a true Hungarian, and for for me, Hameiri, who really had, um, who really loved, loved Hungarians, loved, loved Hungary, loved their culture, loved their uh, uh, literature, loved their uh, food, I felt very strongly about that because I grew up like that and um, I grew up in Israel and I grew up uh, Jewish and um, and I speak Hebrew. That's my uh, native language, but I still have this um, awareness in me. I'm very conscious of this thing, of this side of me. And it's something that I um, always try to explore more and more. And I think Hameri was in the, really... Between those two identities, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say that I'm the same way, but I, I do want to um, delve into that more and and understand it more. Um, the, I, I'll say it again: there were not many Hebrew authors who felt like that. There's not, you will not see Hebrew authors who are, feel so um, attached to their Russian side who um they they might like dostoevsky they might like chekhov but they will, but they do not feel russian they will not they will not go to to war for russia and um be with the troops uh Hameiri did that and he uh he was also a, 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 one of the first if not the, the first ambassador of hungarian culture in israel so that's what sparked my interest in him in in the first place and i think that's what it says about me that i'm even interested in him that I'm very connected to that side. Can you tell us?
1: For, oh, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: Me, so for me as a a Jew with, with Lithuanian grandparents the last place that I thought I'd ever be was working with a man from Hungary. When I was growing up there was except for the fact that there were a few Hungarian um refugees and after the uh, the revolution in 1956 it was a culture that I knew absolutely nothing about. So everything that that I've learned has been plus and and has enlightened me more.
1: Can you tell us about the poem On Guard by Hameyri? Yes, Uh, this poem, um, well,
2: should I read it first and and then discuss it? Sure. Okay, it goes like this. I usually read only for my uh, little girls, but this is a nice experience. Who walks oh,
0: there? Read aloud.
2: Aloud, right. Who walks there? Stop and state. No need for arms. I am a brother, a mate. All who pass here shall die by the sword. What say you? Speak. Our Lord. Where have you come from? Approach at ease. I have brought thee a gift: eternal peace. Who are you? What is your name? Front and center. I am the angel of death. By all means, enter. So you can see that there are um, two characters in this poem. One of them is uh, a guard, and um, he is uh, very hesitant. Someone approaches, and um, this is um, in, in the start, in the beginning, you don't know who it is. But by the end of the poem, you understand this is the angel of death, and um, then he lets him enter because uh, this is the pretty much it tells the story of the carnage, of the senseless carnage of the First World War which is something that um, did not discriminate anyone, it just it was uh, this war was was something that uh, again, a war of alliances where the uh, simple troops were in the meat grinder and um, when death um, identifies as the when it identifies as the angel of death it's given a pass no problem by all means enter
0: thank you
1: can you discuss as well the piece a night of
0: vigil okay this is a really interesting uh, an interesting uh uh short story because it ties in with I mean, Hamiri's knowledge of 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 non-jewish novels and movies it's a captain who's interested in seeing people die. And he purposely makes uh, an attack so to see people die. And that happens to be the evening of Pesach. And there's a father that's got four sons on the front, and he wants, even though he might die, he wants to be with them on Pesach evening. And he arrives, and they're all in shrouds. And the captain arrives, and he drinks wine from Elijah's cup, and eventually he drops down dead. Now, this, this, this is a, a, a very interesting uh, story because Ryder Haggard, my wife put me in, 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 in a knowledge of this one, wrote in 1918 a novel called The Moon of Israel about a, a high-ranking Egyptian who falls in love with a Jewish slave girl and a Jewish and, and an Egyptian soldier arrives, at the, uh, interrupts the Seder, drinks the wine, and drops down dead. Now, there is also in here the very complicated issue in the Talmud that's described of Yayin Nesech. And Yayin Nesech is wine that is spilt because a non-Jew drinks it. And by the way, coming back to the Hungarian um, issue, this Moon of Israel was made into a movie by uh, by by Michael Curtiz, the famous uh, Hungarian filmmaker, in 1924. So coming back again to Hungary, but this is a fascinating story because not only does it give bring in the the fantasy, but it, it weaves in a European uh, novel, uh film made by a Jew, and a, and a Talmudic and a Talmudic concept shows you how educated he was.
1: Thank you. Can you tell us about the poem, By the Hands of Man? Yes, this is a poem.
2: First of all, I must uh, say that this is um, a pretty graphic uh, poem, mm-hmm. as is all of uh, Hamiri's captivity literature, like uh, Hell on Earth. Um, these are basically uh, descriptions of his uh, what he went through in captivity um it's called by the hands of man because uh to hameiri man was um when he's in power when he when you're um in his uh authority can is the worst of all um uh, you remember the we talked about the book of pogroms in edessa it's called in hebrew it's uh translated into between the teeth of man that is um like the poem of uh, Yudah Leib Gordon, Between the Teeth of Lions. Hamiri called it Between the Teeth of Man and not Between the Teeth of Lions because he thinks man has been degraded into a savage. And um, this poem is, uh, really shows that. So can I read it? Please. Okay. By hands of man, by hands of man, this is inferno, hell. In this inferno, bite your skin and choke your yell. It is not the hunger, nor the filth, nor the wounds, nor the pain. For here the soul roasts on embers, not your frame. By hands of man, by hands of man, look in his eyes, shed no tears. Beg him not, suppress all sighs, lest he hears. Lest he sees you and callously whispers, callously whispers, suffer much? Then smiles, lights a cigar, and goes for lunch. By hands of man, by hands of man, who assumes the role of the God he hates, while he sits in heaven's high, laughing at man's fate. So I think it's uh, very explicitly says says it all. Man is uh, thinks he's God when he when he has someone in his uh, when someone is uh, captive by him. He has this sense of God over him, uh, pretty much like a theist. Um, and um, this again relates to me to I mean, Aries. Um, hate for authority in the army, that he cannot he cannot bear the thought of, an, of a man enslaving another man. And um, you can really see in, in this uh, the, the callousness of, of his captor uh, 1917.
1: Thank you.
0: I think I'd just like to say that in the first world war there was in every army there was a pernicious class system. the the, the officers lived in chateaus and in nice barracks, and the poor soldiers lived in uh, uh, right in the trenches. In, for instance, one one understand that, but in the Russian army, but, and uh, certainly before um, before the revolution, when the ruble was worth something, uh, officers got allowances. I think fifty rubles a uh, uh, 50, uh, fifty rubles a month or, or something like that, and that allowed them to live in a private house in town and buy their own food. So I can see why. Uh, somebody who was ordered around by uh, officers like that would really come to resent it.
2: Also, uh, while reading this now, I, I was I was trying to think of somebody who reads this in real time. I can I can really understand how someone would be taken aback from this poem. One must understand that Hebrew poem, um, well, of course, it was Bialik's famous poem about the Kishinev pogrom, but aside from that, people, even that had something to do with uh, Jewish resistance, with, uh, with the need for, for uh, Jewish defense. That poem had some sort of uh, ideology behind it. But here, it's a very grim poem, very violent. And I, th- I can see why people were very, very taken aback from it, from this entire, uh, from this literature in general. Back in the day, this is this is very hard stuff.
0: I think that the one who really disliked it the most must have been Chernikovsky, because he had this uh, this this Hellenistic, he loved beauty and art and things like that, and comes all this this grisliness. I, I don't think he liked this at all. Can
1: you comment on the poem, "The Filth King?" What is it about? What does it say? Ah
2: uh, yes, again, this is another captivity po- uh, poem. Um, discussing, I think the um, really the the terrible conditions. This was also in, in nineteen seventeen, um, in a place called Tomsk. He was moved. He moved around all of Russia, like uh, Peter said, uh, from uh, from the uh, west all the way to Siberia, um, and went through terrible uh, conditions. And this this one. Um, speaks of it, of, of uh, what he went through in in, uh, in captivity. Uh, would you like me to read it? Please. The windows are grimy, the walls smeared with ashes. The door is broken, all evil passes. And swarms of crickets chirp in masses, instilling with me hunger's dismay. Farewell to you, brothers of song, songs in decay. Farewell to you, brothers of songs in decay. The walls are painted with bloody cough. A hairy-bellied spider climbs aloft, and dry flies convulse to and fro, and death by squeaks, disrupt the silence. Praise be, abominations, we are companions. Praise be, abominations, we are companions. Mortar, ground, mud, lie in wait. Cheerful fleas above fornicate. Through cracks in the ceilings, the the rain leaks with hate, and plague puddles deliver to my nose the stench. Welcome, suspect, Suffocation, all lights in me squelch. Welcome suffocation, all light in me squelch. Red slumber suddenly clouds my mind. Vermin and roaches caress my hide while I lie forgotten. My soul subsides and dazed I murmur and peacefully sing. All hail me, all hail me, the filth king. All hail me, all hail me, the filth king. So you, there's a you can see how he addresses. Uh, brothers of songs and decay, uh, abomination, suffocation, and in the end, he becomes the filth king. Uh, basically, from all the all the fleas and all the mud and all the spiders that surround him, uh, he is bla- he is uh, crowned the filth king. Um, I think in the end, there's uh, even uh, a sense of dying that uh, comes over him when he finally feels peace. When he um, is, uh, when he dies and uh, is crowned as the filth king, he's a peace when he's the filth king when with death.
1: If you don't mind, I would also like to ask you about the story Sarah, Sarah Banger. Can you mm-hmm. summarize it or interpret it for us?
0: That one is very difficult. that, uh, that is uh, not for the for the faint of heart. Um, i take a lot to make uh to, to to make me upset i mean i was at medical school i uh, uh, i was at was a, a physician for many years but this one is really unusual this is a young woman who is training with a, a, a doctor to do post looking for the organ for the the the, uh, for the the causes the fear of death and there's uh they're looking for it, and the more postmortems they do, the the, the nearer they think they they're getting, the more the nearer they think they're getting. But then unfortunately, her doctor dies in the same way as um, Semmelweiss's um, teacher died. He cuts himself and he dies of general sepsis. By the way, that's just an interesting um uh, off-ramp. Semmelweis, also probably one of the greatest Hungarians that ever lived, Ignaz Philip Semmelweis, he proposed and asserted the theory of transmittable in uh, transmittable um, organs that, that that cause transmittable infections. And he got that because when he saw that his uh, doctor cut himself and he did the post-mortem and he died, and he saw the exact sim- the signs of a woman who died of childbed fever, then he made the leap. Here's the infectious cause, and this is what caused um, Sarah Banger's uh, preceptor to die. In any case, in a trice, she takes his, um, puts him on the uh, autopsy table, splits his skull open, takes the brain out, and looks for 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 the organ for the fear of death. One of the uh, chemists, I think his name Ludwig Furion, who works there, falls in love with her, and it it becomes really Perverse and twisted, because the more he falls in love with her, the more post mortem she does, and he imagines her with with blood soaked up to her elbows, with her with her with her, with, her, with her, their hands uh, in, in the brain of of people who died, and eventually he finds out, and that, that she's she has she tells him about her family, and um, she says that her father's writing to her. He's, uh, and uh that he said encouraging her carry on do this and, and 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 make something of your life but then he finds out that she is he comes into her room and she's really writing it in a in a in a in a day in a in in a uh, uh in a trance and she's writing in hebrew with his handwriting but she's writing that he must that 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 that, uh, that, that that he was continue with the post-mortem. And he goes completely mad, and he he wants to shoot her. He wants to shoot himself. But then the final thing, and I'd like to read that out. You just let me get, get the place. I didn't realize you were going to do that. That um, she comes, and she, she goes completely mad. She says, oh, my father's on the autopsy table. And he arrives, and she sees uh, and he sees a Jewish man with a beard with his legs cut off and his beard matted with blood. And then it ends, Sarah Banger pounced on the dead body and started to suck its dead lips. Ludwig Furion was the only one able to bind her in chains. Now for anybody that's read the picture of Dorian Gray, and the gift also ends like that, this is a, a Faustian myth. A a uh, Faustian uh, uh, image of 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 also of death and the maiden this is a very very powerful uh story i don't think people many people will have the guts to read it but it's 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 um it's it's got so much imagery what one could talk about it it's got the the story of elizabeth battery who i don't think did what they said she did uh, bathed in, in in the blood of people that she that she killed but it's it's an obsession with death with, in its grisliest form, and it cuts no makes no bones when it's translated. I think this was Danny's help was the first time that this has ever been been uh, seen in print. And the trouble with these stories is that they were all published in journal form. and because the printing press in the mandate was not very good, not only are there <clears throat> printing errors, but they're spelling errors. So you've got to go out on a limb and work out what, what it's meant to be said and not what was said. But this story is absolutely unique and it's as grisly as anything. I don't think many people will have the guts to read it.
1: If If I could ask you about one final poem, can you comment on Satan's Idyll and interpret it for us?
2: Yes, of course. Um, it's interesting because Hama'iri did not really write idils. Um This is was really a Shani is more of an um, area of expertise. Um, should I read it first? If you don't mind. The square, an infernal cemetery, first calm in the pit, the celestial provision supplied, its belly full of human flesh, spring wonders are sunlit. The sun, in all its glory, has cracked the clouds of splendor, and flower lust for flower, bloodthirsty love fiend, Breed, kiss me tender. All around, rotten dead, decomposing in putrid steam, while the slaughter ground is sleeping. Oh, wretched, whore-bred whore, digesting corpses in its dream, And the top congealed, dirty flower slowly descends a bee. How peculiar, it buzzes puzzled. Oh, perverse life divinity, while nursing blood with glee. So this is, uh, I think... um, First of all, you can see how he again he puts the setting, uh, the square, the sun all around. Um, he uh, sets the stage for this um, really this uh, uh, celebration of death, if you if you'd like. This is um, you can say uh, Satan's um, dream stage with um, um, rotting corpses. And uh, all of them decomposing in the sun. This is something of course um, very unsettling. And um, he um, describes this as something beautiful to for the, uh, I think, for the shock effect. And in the end, um, and this is something he did he does um, in more poems, um, where he takes um, the flower. He says atop a congealed, dirty flower. And this is something—a um, a, a scene of beauty in nature, a flower and a bee. But it's uh, the bee is uh, sucking blood out of the out of the flower, and not um, not making honey. So uh, this is something. This is something very very unsettling. And he sets this, and it, and it makes and it's even more. Uh, you can sense it even more um, because of the. Uh, because of this uh, depiction of nature and how and the sun and the flower and everything Um, you can even uh, feel the how everything is quiet after the after the um, after the combat and um, this is the contrast is what makes it so shocking i think
1: as we bring today's dialogue to a close can you tell us about where your time and attention have gone since completing this book
0: oh uh, a (laughs) month. Mine is a long story. Um, I've been translating works by Theodore Lessing from German into English, and also I've got two books. One which is really big, and I can't talk about it in detail because it's about. We're about to look for a publisher about it. This is about. If you think of Victor Hameiri is unknown, this this author is completely unknown, and he. It's a huge book in hebrew and i'm not i'm doing that one and once that's done i'm also doing another book by by this time a a female author so it's 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 all from hebrew what i'm trying to do here and i didn't realize i was doing this in the beginning was to to give almost to to the to, to the people of israel back their own literature that they didn't know about uh literature that was written in uh, uh uh between the wars so it's it's sort of my contribution to amy israel
1: thank you T-
2: um i have uh, moved on from hameiri um i uh i am now uh, working on my uh, phd uh, a, researching uh, a contemporary of uh, hameiri's I actually knew him and uh, published him and uh, I wouldn't say associated with, but they knew each other and they actually, I, I actually got to know him through HaMe'iri because I read, I found found out about him in the journals where I read HaMe'iri. I found out about Eliezer Steinman and uh, I moved on to uh, write my PhD about him. And uh, that's what I'm doing now as far as Hebrew literature is concerned.
1: I wish you the best of luck in your present and future endeavors. And I'd like to, and by conveying my heartfelt gratitude to you for all the self-sacrifice and silent suffering involved in editing and translating these works and bringing them into creation, into reality, and and into fruition for the benefit of wisdom itself, for the benefit of education itself, and for the benefit of all the future readers of this book in Israel and abroad.
2: Thank you, Ari, for giving us the opportunity to discuss our translated poems and uh, stories. been a pleasure.
1: And my thanks as well. Thank you. It was my genuine privilege and honor. As we end today, I am Ari Barbalat, your host on the New Books in Jewish Studies podcast. Today, I've been in, in dialogue with Dan Hecht and Peter Applebaum discussing their newly edited and translated book. Under a Blood-Red Sky, Avigdor Hameiri's War Stories and Poetry, published in Boston by Academic Studies Press, 2023. Peter is a retired microbiologist who is spending his retirement years writing and translating books about Jewish history during World War I and the immediate post-war period. He is the recipient of the 2019 Rise Dome Porges Prize for his Translation of Avigdor Ha Meiri's Hell on Earth. Dan Hecht is a doctoral student at the School of Cultural Studies at Tel Aviv University, who wrote an extensive master's thesis on the writings of Avigdor Ha Meiri, focusing on his dual national loyalty to his Hungarian heritage and his Hebrew homeland. He is currently writing his PhD on the essayistic prose of Eliezer Steinman. Thank you very, very much.
0: Thank you, Ari very much. Thank you very much, Mark, for me too. i now go to bed, please. Thank you.